have a copy of God's Word, perhaps a printed copy like I do, or you have a digital copy on your phone or your iPad or something like that, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book, the Bible. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, and open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. We're picking up this morning where we left off last week. If you were with us last week, you know we talked about the Antichrist, that beast that will rise up out of the sea, out of all of the chaos, all of the confusion of a world that has gone mad. And he will lead the world into a one-world government. This Antichrist will literally be the embodiment of Satan. Satan will, will take over his body. But today I want us to look at another beast that we discover in this chapter, and that is the false prophet, the beast that leads out in the worship of the Antichrist. Now what you need to understand is that from the beginning of creation, our enemy, the dragon, the serpent of old, Satan, has been raising up false prophets to deceive us, to keep us from worshiping our creator. Now Satan was the very first false prophet. When he appeared to Adam and Eve in the garden as that serpent, and he said, did God really say he became the first false prophet? He was leading Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. He deceived them into disobeying God's word. And from that time until the present, Satan has been raising up false prophets in his own image, in his own likeness to deceive the world. Now, some of these false prophets never have large audiences. They just have a small audience, perhaps even their own family. But there are other false prophets who have the opportunity to sway hundreds and thousands and, and even millions of people. Take Muhammad, for instance. He is the founder of Islam. There are over 2 billion Muslims in the world today. 2 billion people who are following Muhammad through the gates of hell into an eternity separated from Jesus Christ. And then there is Hinduism. Hinduism has no founder. Hinduism is the fusion of many beliefs. It has many gods, many goddesses, and yet there are around 1.2 billion Hindus in the world today. 1.2 billion people worshiping vile, wicked gods, demons, who are masquerading as gods in this world. And then think about Buddha. Buddha has 506 million people today who are following him down the paths of enlightenment. But you need to understand that the path that Buddha is taking people down will never lead them to enlightenment. It will only lead them into darkness. And then there are false prophets who have infiltrated the church today, who, are, who have taken 
Christianity and they have so warped it that it's no longer even a part of Christianity. People like Joseph Smith who started the Mormon church or Charles Taze Russell who started the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then there are those false prophets today who have infiltrated what once were God-honoring Bible-teaching churches. And yet those churches today are far from God-honoring. They are far from Bible-teaching. As a matter of fact, what they are teaching is leading people astray. And Jesus warned us about these false prophets. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. And so, in other words, these false prophets will lead us to believe that they're harmless, that they're good, but in reality, what they want to do is tear us apart and destroy our lives. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, but there were also false prophets in Israel. Israel had false prophets. And then he said, just as there will be false teachers and false prophets among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. So the Bible tells us that from the beginning of time until the end of time, our world will see false prophets. But in the very last days, there will be one final false prophet who in conjunction with the Antichrist will lead the entire world into a heresy and eventually destruction. Now there's one key truth that I'm going to repeat over and over this morning that I want you to get. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this truth. And that is this. Satan's strategy is to deceive you into worshiping the gods of this world, the things of this world, so that eventually you will worship him who is the God of this world. And so Satan's strategy is to deceive you, convince you to worship the things of this world, all the little gods of this world, so that you will worship Satan, the God of this world. And so let's begin to unpack this passage. Start with verse 11. It says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. Now this second beast is the sidekick of the first beast. But that doesn't mean that he's less dangerous. As a matter of fact, the second beast is as dangerous as as the first beast. The word another in verse 11 means another of the same kind. It means that the beast of the sea and the beast from the earth are cut from the same cloth. Even though the antichrist and the false prophet are two very different men, they are both groomed and prepared by their father, Satan, who is the father of all lies. This beast the beast of the earth has the same goals, he has the same purposes as the beast of the sea, the Antichrist. Now the Antichrist exhibits power over the political world. But this beast, the false prophet, exhibits power over the spiritual world, the religious world. Now in this verse, he is referred to as the beast who comes up out of the earth. But in three other places in the book of Revelation, he is referred to as the false prophet. 
In Revelation 16, verse 13, it says, And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. In Revelation 19, verse 20, it says, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles. And then in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. Now we are told that this beast comes up out of the earth. Some people say that the earth represents the established order of that day. There are other people that say that the earth represents the nation of Israel. And still there are others that say that the earth represents the religious community of the day. To be honest with you, I'm not sure what the earth represents. But I do know that this false prophet, this beast, will come from the religious community. Hence, he is a false prophet. And he has the ability to sway the masses. I love what John Phillips, who is one of my my favorite commentators, says about the false prophet. He says the dynamic appeal of the false prophet will lie in his skill in combining political expediency with religious passion, self-interest with benevolent philanthropy, lofty sentiment with blatant sophistry, moral platitude with unbridled selfish indulgence. His arguments will be subtle, convincing, and appealing. His oratory will be hypnotic, for he will be able to move the masses to tears or whip them into a frenzy. His deadly appeal will lie in the fact that what he says will sound so right, so sensible, so exactly what unregenerate man will always want to hear. Now notice, verse 11 tells us that the false prophet will look like a lamb but he will have the voice of the dragon. John gives us the picture of two animals that are polar opposites, a gentle lamb and a dangerous dragon. But you need to understand that this picture of the false prophet reveals he wants us to look at him like Jesus, but in reality he speaks to us like Satan. And so mark that down. The false prophet wants us to look at him like Jesus. He wants us to think of him like Jesus. But in reality, he speaks to us with the voice, with the words of Satan, the father of all lies. Now, the ultimate, the false prophet is the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, don't forget the key truth that I want you to get out of this passage, and that's this. You see, Satan's strategy is to deceive us, to convince us to worship the things of this world so that sooner or later we will worship the God of this world. Satan wants to convince us to worship the things of this world so that sooner or later we will worship the gods of this world. Now listen to what it says in verse 12. He, the false prophet, exercised all the authority of the first beast. In other words, he had the authority of the first beast. And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. You remember from last week that the Antichrist is killed. He literally dies, I believe. But because he 
has Satan living inside of him, he is able to come back to life. Though his body dies because he is inhabited by Satan, the Antichrist is able to come back to life. And what is crazy to those of us who place our faith in Jesus is that the world has rejected the resurrection of Jesus. And yet the world will embrace the resurrection of the Antichrist. Now notice what he wants to get the people of the world to do. He wants to get the people to worship the first beast, the Antichrist. Now it may surprise some of you, but Satan is a fan of religion. Satan isn't against religion. He just doesn't want you to worship the God of all creation. He wants you to worship. He knows that you were created to worship. And so his desire is not to keep you from worshiping. His desire is to keep you from worshiping the one who created you and made you in his image. In Daniel chapter 11 verse 36, we read this about the Antichrist. It says, the king, the Antichrist, will do as he pleases, exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every god, even blaspheming the god of gods. You see, the Antichrist's desire, because he is inhabited by Satan, is to gain the worship of of the world. Now listen very carefully. The purpose of the Antichrist is to promote the agenda of the, or the purpose of the false prophet, excuse me, is to promote the agenda of the Antichrist, which is to take the worship that belongs to God away from God. We discovered that last week when we talked about the Antichrist. The Antichrist's desire is to take the worship that rightfully belongs to God and to turn it to himself, who is the embodiment of Satan. Satan has wanted your worship since the day that he rebelled against God in heaven. And until the day that he is thrown into hell, he is going to try to gain your worship. And so that's the purpose of the false prophet, to get you to worship the Antichrist. Now, just as this false prophet will lead the world in the end times into a one world religion, the world is already being groomed for that today. I don't know if you realize that, but there are many people today who are trying to lead us into a one world religion. Back in 2000, there was a meeting of religious leaders. It was on June the 26th of 2000. Religious leaders from six continents in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And they signed this charter, and the charter was called the United Religions Initiative Charter. And one of the prohibitions that were signed in that charter was a prohibition against evangelism. And so this group that came together advocating for one world religion was advocating against evangelism. Now you may not know this, but in various countries in Europe today, evangelism is already against the law. You cannot proselytize in certain countries in Europe. We're not talking about the Middle East. We're not talking about Central Asia. We're talking about Europe. There are countries in Europe where you cannot proselytize. And the reason is they say all religions are equal. All religions are the same. And if that's true, if all religions are going down a path that leads to the same end, then why should we evangelize? I mean, evangelism is the result of us believing that we have the truth. 
You see, as Christians, we evangelize because we believe what Jesus said in John 14 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. We believe that. That's why we evangelize. We believe what it says in Acts 4 where it says, There is no other name given under heaven whereby you can be saved. Jesus is the only name. We believe that. We believe that Jesus alone died for the sins of the world on the cross. And so we are compelled to evangelize. And yet, there are people in Western Europe today who are trying to outlaw evangelism because they feel like all religions are the same. So there are people that are doing that. On March of 2005, there was a professor, his name is John Hicks, from the University of Birmingham, the United Kingdom. And he was quoted in an article um, in the World Faith Encounter magazine. And in the article, this is what he said. He said, most New Testament scholars today do not believe that Jesus, the historical individual, claimed to be God incarnate. The old exclusivist view that only Christians are saved has been abandoned by the majority of Christian theologians and church leaders. Now, if that's true, God help us. I hope that's not true. And yet the reality is that there are many people today who call themselves Christians, who say that they're Christians, who say Jesus isn't the exclusive, the only way to heaven. And yet Jesus claimed that. I want you to listen to me and listen very carefully. You can't have it two ways. Either Jesus is the only way to God or Jesus was a liar or a lunatic. Did you hear me? Because Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. Jesus claimed to die for our sins. And so if he's not God in the flesh, if he didn't die for our sins, then he is the biggest charlatan who has ever lived. And he has pulled a deception on mankind that has never been rivaled before and will never be rivaled again. You see, we can't believe that that Jesus is one of many ways to God. Because if he's not the only way to God, he's not a way to God. You have to decide what you believe. But there are people today who are trying to tell us that all roads lead to the same God. There there was an article several years ago in World Magazine. And the article was titled, The New Multi-Faith Religion. And it focused on this church in Los Angeles that is called the Agape International Spiritual Center. And the article focused on how this church mixes Christian praise songs and hymns with alms from Eastern um, meditation. It told how in the bookstore they have not only Bibles for sale, but they have books from gurus and self-proclaimed goddesses for sale. And it quoted in that article someone who said this, They said, people who think that theirs is the only true religion are the real enemy. And then in that article, it predicted the rise of a new religion based on the premise that all religions are the same. Hear me. Mark my words. We are preparing the way for the Antichrist And this false prophet that is going to come, that is going to lead the world to worship Satan. And let me remind you of the key truth. Satan's strategy is to deceive you, to convince you, to worship the things of this world 
so that he will eventually get you to worship the God of this world. Now let's continue reading in verse 13. It says, he, the false prophet, did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. With all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived. Now, if you underline or you circle or you mark in your Bible, mark that word. He deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of this beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Now, this false prophet is going to be very persuasive. And his persuasiveness gives him the ability to deceive the people who belong to this world. We are told that he will do miracles and signs. We are told that he will call down fire from heaven. And that will remind the Jews of what Elijah did when he was on earth and called down fire from heaven. He will cause this statue that's made in the image and the likeness of the Antichrist to come to life and begin to speak. Now today, there is a statue that many people think may be the statue that's going to be used for the Antichrist. Here's a picture of it right here. As a matter of fact, this statue has either already started or it will start a world tour in 26 cities worldwide within the year. And this statue is able to change shapes and sizes. This, this statue can become anyone. It can become anything. And it speaks. And when this, this statue first came out, there were people that emailed me and said, Rocky, do you think this could be the statue that the Antichrist is going to use that people are going to worship him? And, and my answer to that is no. Because that's something made with the mind of man. Man came up with that. The statue that is going to be worshipped in the end times comes from the very mind of Satan himself. And it cannot be conceived in the mind of man. I love what Henry Morris says about this statue. Not that one, but the statue that will be made. He said, the image is more than a mere robot with a computer voice. That would be no great marvel today with all the accomplishments of automation and, and kinematronics. And so looking at that statue, we know that's not a big marvel I mean, man can make those things. But millions of people, millions of people have observed an image of Abraham Lincoln move and speak at Disneyland. But they were hardly moved to bow down and worship to that image. The image of the man of sin will speak intelligibly. And his words will not be programmed, pre-programmed. He will issue commands among them to slay all people who do not worship him. Those who worship this remarkable phenomenon will be convinced the image is really speaking of its own volition. Understand, when this image speaks in the end times, it will be nothing short of a miracle. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, if all of these miracles are happening, then shouldn't we trust miracles? Because miracles come from God, don't they? And I would say sometimes, but all miracles don't come from God. You see, you need to understand that, that we don't judge a person by the miracle they do. 
The Bible says that we judge a person by the message that they give and the fruit that they are producing in their lives. Many people can do miracles. Miracles come and go. Miracles can be duplicated and and Satan has power to do miracles. We don't trust a miracle. We don't put our faith in a miracle. We put our faith in the word of God. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 13. Suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles occur. They happen. If they then say, come, let us worship other gods, gods who have not, you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. So what is it saying in the Old Testament? We're told in the Old Testament that false prophets can come and those false prophets can do miracles. And just because they do miracles, don't believe them. If they try to get you to worship any God other than the God of God's word, don't listen to them. Don't follow them. As a matter of fact, it says put them to death. Listen to what Jesus said again in Matthew 7. He said, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. And then he goes on to say on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name. And I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, just because someone does a miracle just because someone produces a sign doesn't mean that they are from God dear brothers and sisters listen to me this is what we trust we trust God's word and whenever you begin to trust anything other than God's word you're in a bad place because you are in a position where Satan can deceive you and remember what Satan wants to do Satan wants to deceive you into worshiping the things of this world so that sooner or later he can get you to worship the God of this world. And oh, he's doing a good job at deceiving us today. He really is. This Thursday, there's a gathering at a church in the upstate. Here's the gathering. A drag show at church, Trinity Lutheran Church in Greenville. Now may I say to you, listen to me. Uh, That person who's in drag, they need to be prayed for. They're deceived. I think they're mentally ill. They have a problem. They need Jesus in their lives. But that church, if you call it that, needs to be shut down they are deceiving people you need to understand that what they are promoting is not only an abomination it's a sacrilege to the very character and nature of a holy God and yet that's what our enemy is doing today he's deceiving us into believing that it doesn't matter what you do God loves you and God accepts you. It doesn't matter how you live. God loves you and God accepts you. It doesn't matter what you believe. God loves you. God accepts you. 
And you see, that's a partial truth. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you believe. God does love you. So much so that he sent his son to die on a cross in your place for your sin and rebellion. But if you reject him, you will not be accepted by him. You will be rejected by him one day. And the false prophets of our day, who are just a preview of the false prophet in the last day, are leading people astray. Now, let's look at the last three verses. It says, he, the false prophet, required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So let me just say to you that we don't need to waste any brain cells trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. We're told that, that he is the number of a man. We're told that he is going to be a man, and he's going to be embodied by Satan. And that's all we really need to worry about right now. He's coming. And when he comes, the false prophet is going to require that everyone get a mark, either on their hand, their forehead. And you've got to get that mark or you can't buy. You can't sail. You can't work. You can't travel. The reality is if you don't get the mark, you can't live. There's coming a day when that will happen. You see, the power of the false beast is seen, or the false prophet is seen, in his ability to require everyone to take that mark. And he requires everyone on the planet to take that mark. And if you don't take the mark, you're put to death. That's what happens. But the reality is, each and every one of us are either marked by God or Satan today. You're already marked. The question is, whose mark do you have? You say, Rocky, what are you talking about? Well, the Bible says that when we accept Jesus, we are marked with the Holy Spirit of God. When it says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that word seal means mark. God puts his mark on us. And his mark is the Holy Spirit that comes to live in us. The Bible says that if we're saved, we're born by the Holy Spirit. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit, and we're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we are to walk in the Spirit. We're told that we are gifted by God's Spirit. We're told that the Holy Spirit gives us discernment. We are told that the Holy Spirit enlightens us and opens our minds and our hearts as we read God's Word. The Holy Spirit marks us when we're saved. And my question for you this morning is simply this. Has the Holy Spirit marked you? Is the Holy Spirit living in you? Now you may say, I don't know. But may I say to you that if the Holy Spirit is living in you, I think you'll know. The Bible says that our body is the temple of God. God's Spirit comes to live in us when we're saved. 
And I believe that he radically changes us and transforms us to the point that the Bible calls it being born again, being made new. The old dies, everything becomes new. When God's Spirit comes to live in you, He changes your life. Everything about you. And so if you've been marked by the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Doesn't mean there won't be battles. There will be, but in God's Spirit, is going to be inside of you, drawing you to himself, leading you to a life of holiness and obedience to him. Have you been marked by the Spirit? Is his Spirit living in you? If not, trust me, you're marked by the devil right now. But the good news is you don't have to stay marked by him. Right here, right now, and you can say, I, I want to be marked by Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want his spirit to come in and take control of my life. I, I want to turn from sin and trust Jesus and, and surrender to Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And when we do that, he'll save us and he'll make us brand new. There's coming a day, at the end of this age, when the Antichrist is on this earth and the false prophet is doing his bidding, when where everyone is going to have to take a literal mark on their hand or their forehead to buy and sell and travel and work and everything else. And to not take the mark means death. But dear brother and sister, I'm here to tell you to not take Jesus' mark means death, eternal death. God created you for a relationship. And he so longs to live in relationship with you. But he's not going to force his love upon you. He's going to give you the freedom to either accept him or reject him and go your way. So if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord and you're ready to do that, then I want to encourage you to do that right now. I don't want you to bow your head with me, close your eyes. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Rocky, I, I don't know that I belong to Jesus, but I want to. I want him to change my life. Then I want to invite you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you today acknowledging that I am a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I've lived as if I were God on the throne. Forgive me. Jesus, I don't want to live this way anymore. I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. And today I'm asking you to forgive me. To save me. Take control of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new, I pray. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer.